Hey there, welcome back. This week, we are talking about Britney Spears and kind of her conservatorship, but really breaking down my thoughts and takeaways from the Framing Britney Spears documentary, and then some of the fallout afterwards. I talked a bit about this last week on YouTube on my Tuesday show. I do a Coffee and Cursey Words show live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Time on the YouTubes. And there is a segment of that show where I talked about the documentary and wanted to share that again and share it in a shorter form for those who don't plow through (laughs) my two-hour plus live streams, which I totally understand. So that segment, talking about it and talking about the culture around treating women the way Britney Spears was treated will be included in this episode too. But then I wanted to cover a few more of my thoughts and then the aftermath since that documentary was released. So we are just going to go ahead and get right into it. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years, I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. It's Britney, bitch. Britney Spears. But I feel like we need a second quote for this show. And so this one gets a second quote. In my opinion, Jamie is a total dick. Sam Asghari, Britney's boyfriend. We're going to talk about that and where that quote came from in a little bit. I first wanted to point out that, yes, we are taking a little bit of this show from Tuesday's Coffee and Cursey Words. It is important conversation that needed to be had. And I don't want to try to recreate it. I just want to share it with you. But I've had a ton of thoughtful comments on that episode, as I do on all of my videos. And I appreciate you. There's the occasional straggler. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting judgment. Thanks for sharing. But generally, wonderful conversation happening in the comments. And last week, I shared a number of comments and praise for the podcast here on The Emily Show. But I wanted to share a few of the comments with regard to this topic from over on the YouTubes. And let's just let's just get into a few of those. I really do appreciate your comments and I do see most of them. I don't always have a chance to comment back because it's a lot of places to interact, but I see them and I appreciate them and I learn things from them and I I expand the way I think about things just from all of the feedback I get from you. So thank you very much. Sweet Claire over on YouTube said, falling into the category of ignoring women because she's, quote, problematic, or ignoring a woman because she's, quote, problematic, Courtney Love tried to warn everyone about Harvey Weinstein in 2005, which is a fantastic point. And then there were comments under that going into the fact that others, um, including, I believe, Rose McGowan, had also levied kind of warning and criticism about Harvey Weinstein well before the Me Too movement. Then Deadly Toxin said, sick and tired of women being painted as irrational or crazy or whatever. We may not know her medical info, her RE Britney Spears, 
but I know I wouldn't react much better to that kind of pressure from everyone. You know, she had to feel totally alone. My heart breaks for her. And I think a lot of us felt that way coming off of the Britney Spears documentary and just taking a look back at that time period. And I'm going to get into that a bit more in the deep dive, but there have been some There's a clip of the David Letterman show with Lindsay Lohan making the rounds on social media right now where you're watching it going, yikes, yikes. I mean, yes, the 2000s were a different time. And I think as a society, we are more aware of what we don't know. We are more tolerant of one another. We are less likely to tolerate poking fun at people when fun shouldn't be poked and making fun of mental health or disability. And it's interesting rewatching it going, oh, she's so uncomfortable. And uh, Letterman almost seems proud that he makes her cry in that clip. It's just, it's really hard to watch. And I feel like though some don't feel that we're moving forward fast enough, when you look back on some of these clips from the early 2000s, and yeah, it was 20 years ago, but it was only 20 years ago, you look back and go, God, we have changed so much. You look back to the 90s, and I don't think it was just because we were teens or my contemporaries were teens in the 90s. I think it was part of our the music we listened to and the way that we talked and the movies that we watched. And when you go back and watch some of it now, you're like, yay, 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 yay. That, no, that's not okay. So we're learning, and that gives me hope. The next comment I wanted to point out is from Carrie Vanderberg, who said, it's not just women. The idea that we somehow have a right to celebrity to a celebrity's life because of their job is ludicrous. I enjoy ludicrous too. Anyway, I know that's not what she meant. <laughs> if what a lot of these quote fans and quote paparazzi do did this to a person who isn't, quote, famous, they'd be charged with stalking or harassment, full stop. It's just plain gross. And under that, Aaron Gora commented, that's why I won't buy gossip magazines or click on gossip sites. They won't get my money or be able to monetize my eyeballs to then pay those paparazzi. If we all did that, think of what a difference it could make. And it really is a good conversation about what role the audience plays in all of this. I feel like it's kind of Truman Show-esque. I don't know. What role do we all play in watching it all happen and wanting to watch it all happen and wanting to know what's happening, but then also being like, but we we don't... Uh, Sometimes we don't like it and we want the scoop and we don't want the curated run through PR, you know, feed, but then at what cost does all of this come? And I, I think the conversation is the place to start with at what cost and looking at what has happened with a lot of our celebrities and how that is now spilling over into the world of social media celebrity. There is a YouTuber who has recently shared that his family has been stalked and harassed in a horrific and invasive way. And it's not the first YouTuber who's come forward with issues of stalking because I think YouTubers have closer parasocial relationships to their communities or their fan bases than others. And it's different if you're in a movie, you know, you're Reese Witherspoon and Legally Blonde, which they're making a third, I live. But you don't see Reese's day-to-day life. If you go to her social, you do, but her movies, the things she's most famous for are not, you know, following her around in the car or 
her going shopping at the mall and YouTube and, and internet celebrities. I get, do we call that? Do we just call them all influencers now? <laughs> internet celebrities. Cause it's like TikTokers and Instagrammers and all the things, but you are invited into their life with the way that they make content for the most part. You, you see their friend groups and the places that they frequent. And that I think invites people in, in a different way and can invite some of those boundaries to be crossed. Not that I'm excusing at all. I think I understand why this is happening to more non-traditional celebrities is, is all I'm saying. It's not okay. Boundaries are important, but the content sometimes pushes those boundaries in how close um, the bond is there. And it used to be that when people felt really close to a celebrity and stalked them and was like, no, I meant to marry them. People were like, no, that's weird. But then when people feel that way about their favorite content creator who they're like, no, I've seen the inside of their house. I know their life. I see where they go get coffee or, or whatever it is. It's a different type of relationship. And it's something both creators and communities can be mindful of to make sure that those um, especially safety boundaries stay in place. But I love interacting with my community, with y'all. I love bringing you into my life and sharing my life with you and and interacting with you about yours too. I really do. I love that too. I love having community too. I love having friends on the internet too. So I get it. I think the the paparazzi part of it is weird to me. And that's something that really stuck out to me in the Framing Britney Spears documentary. And I talk about it in the Tuesday Coffee and Curfew words. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit more because I had some additional thoughts after that aired. I... It's just odd to me the entitlement that the paparazzi feel to our celebrities, and then it becomes that game of monetizing it. And I think monetizing and commoditizing access to people, maybe it is better letting the people decide. I mean, that's what that's what influencers do. They monetize access to themselves in some ways, but they choose it. I don't know if they always know what they're choosing, but they're choosing it in a way different than maybe a pop singer in the early 2000s realized that they were not just selling music, but selling a part of themselves as well. And we now have platforms like Patreon, where you can monetize any kind of creative art. You have OnlyFans, where you can monetize different kinds of art, depending on what you monetize on OnlyFans. We have you know, YouTube memberships, where you can monetize particular and special access to creators or to behind the scenes and in lots of other ways. So you now have creators more in charge of monetizing themselves, but then you have very young creators, especially on platforms like TikTok, where maybe you don't know when to stop selling yourself. I, I just am thinking of Gabby DiMartino, who's a YouTuber more specifically than a TikToker, but has an OnlyFans and was selling maybe questionable images of herself as a child to her OnlyFans, which caused quite a lot of outrage. I talk about it on the YouTubes if you want to know more about that. But I asked at that time, at what point do people stop selling themselves? And and where are those boundaries? So let's just take an initial glance into my thoughts on the Framing Britney Spears documentary, and then we'll be back here with some deeper thoughts. I thought Framing Britney Spears was quite good. They talked about the conservatorship some, for sure, but I thought it was very interesting how much they talked about the surrounding circumstances 
leading up to the conservatorship. In the first Emily Show episode I did about Britney Spears, I really did dive into all of the back stuff leading up because I also thought it was important to remember this is a woman who had been in the spotlight from a very young age, had a um, a kind of push-pull with the media, a very, very public breakup, a very quick marriage, two kids back-to-back, which for those of you that have had children, that's a whole, whole, whole other situation that can really, really challenge uh, not only mental health, but physical health and well-being. And then going through a divorce in the public eye and then being hounded by the media the way that people were in the early 2000s, different from now. I think social media has kind of stemmed the tide a little bit. Uh, COVID has definitely stemmed the tide on that. I was very troubled watching this documentary, seeing one of the the paparazzi who followed her around, the one whose truck was damaged in the um, umbrella incident, being like, but she never said leave leave her alone. I, I, I'm I'm sorry. What the fuck did you just say? She never said leave her alone like forever. She said leave her alone like temporarily, like for the day. She never said leave her alone like forever. The perception that the paparazzi thought that this was uh, something Britney enjoyed blew me away. And I'm so glad that Framing Britney Spears actually sat down and interviewed one of the kind of key paparazzi figures in this, the one who got the shots of her um, beating the car with the umbrella. It was just so, uh, it was just so disturbing to see this mentality of, oh, well, I mean, she just kind of said no. She didn't like really mean no. I mean, we know that she wanted it because like that's the game, right? She's like, oh no, we, oh, please stop. The woman put her child on her lap to like escape a coffee bean and tea leaf because she was so overwhelmed by the situation. So this attitude of, well, they want it. I mean, even if they say no, they want it. That is a deeply rooted cultural issue with, oh no, you know, women might say no, but they don't really mean no. They they still want the attention. Don't you love the attention? She should want the attention. She should be appreciative of the attention. She should like that these photos get so much money. She should like that she's on the cover of all of it. That's what I heard in this. What I heard in this was this underlying misogynistic culture of she does not have autonomy of herself or her body, and we are entitled to every photo, every moment. We are entitled, the paparazzis and then the public by nature, entitled to that, entitled to access to her, entitled to override her saying, no, please leave me alone, stop. That is exactly what this is. Her shielding her face and trying to drive with flashbulbs going off is not her enjoying the attention. And her being asked at what, eight, nine, 10 on Star Search? So do you have a boyfriend? As if she didn't just get up on stage 
and slay and have a voice and maybe have a hobby. Maybe she has a fucking hobby that's not a boy. But this also goes to the culture of women being valued if they have a man. And this is something I see changing, but this is something that's very disturbing to me too. Women being valued based on who they're with, who they're dating, women being praised for, oh, she's got a good man. No, she has a personhood. She has a self. She has music. She has other things. But Justin wants to fuck her. So obviously she's valuable. No, 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 no. She's a queen and she slays. So even from the time she's a little girl, don't you have a boyfriend? And then, and then, well, not all boys. And she's like, no, boys are gross or whatever. And then he's like, well, not all boys are gross. How old, how old was the host of Star Search in that clip? 50, 60? Ew, ew, being like, not all boys are bad. Uh, She is a literal child in that clip. And then they went through the documentary clip by clip by clip of people asking her about her boobs, her virginity. Are you fucking kidding me? Why are we asking a not even adult about their sex life as if it's all of our business? No. And then when she breaks up from Justin Timberlake, he's praised for having sex with her, but she's still kind of a hoe because she had sex with him. It's just all so fucked. And I love that this documentary called it out and called out the fact that women are valued by the men on their arm. This, this, for all of, all of my lady friends who don't like the men, how I, 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 I've talked to some of my lesbian friends about this, but it's all so fucked. It's also fucked. It's like, oh, you're valuable because you have a man. So let's just discount people who, you know, aren't heterosexual. Let's just discount all of those women first and be like, hmm, you're not valuable because you don't have a man on your arm. Let's let's deal with that aside. It's just so <sighs> problematic, but also it's now being addressed. We've seen it in this and we've seen it in Miss Americana. Taylor Swift talks about it too. Taylor Swift talks about the difficulty of being a female performer, the difficulty of finding your voice, standing up for yourself, and then being shot down for doing so. Taylor Swift talks about the fact that she brought up, and I'm not going to spiral on the Miss Americana, but just for a brief second, she was grabbed on the ass during a photo shoot by a radio DJ at a festival she was at. Like full, handful of ass is how she describes it. She told the radio station, she took autonomy of her body, and she said, that's not okay with me. Now, a lot of women that have had physical intrusion on their body, you get this like fight, flight, freeze. A lot of people freeze. It's a normal response. And you're like, is this really actually happening to me? How is this happening? This is wild. And it makes it hard to say, no, not okay. Taylor Swift said, this isn't all right. This is what happened, just so you know. And then, the dude gets fired and then bro sues her for defamation because he got fired for grabbing her. The entitlement of grabbing Taylor Swift's ass. Then she says something because it's not okay to just grab ass. Then he gets fired. Then he sues her for getting fired. The entitlement, the entitlement of it all. And that's what we're seeing played out in this 
documentary. We're seeing it all condensed in time to look at, oh, we yes, we've come a long way, but no, we are not done. Because we are now post Me Too. We are now post Ask Her More. And Ask Her More was a red carpet um, kind of hashtag movement regarding the fact that women on the red carpet are generally only asked about their clothes, their shoes. Did they get a facial? Did they lose weight? Did they do a cleanse? Did you do a pre-red carpet cleanse? They don't get asked about what did you do to get into character? How do you approach being an actor? What did you do to prep for this role? No, 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 they don't. So I am just, I am just, I am glad that it's been called out. I am glad that they addressed it this way. It doesn't address all of the conservatorship, but it addresses the habitual tearing down of Britney Spears. And not just her, other celebrities like her, but I struggle to think of a male celebrity that was torn down as much as Britney Spears was. And can we can we just can we just talk about Robert Downey Jr. for a moment? I mean, Robert Downey Jr. had a very troubled past, but but they gave him a chance with Iron Man because he's a good actor. If he was a woman, would he have gotten that chance? If he was a woman with the past that he had, would he have gotten that chance? Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant got caught in all kinds of illegal activity. Still had a career. Everybody was like, huh, dudes. Isn't it weird that they just do the dude things? It is what it is. And, and I know not everybody loves the word rape culture, but... When we talk about it, and sometimes it's talked about in terms of toxic masculinity, it's that entitlement to women's attention, to their space, to access to them. And that's what the paparazzi did to Britney Spears. They felt entitled to access to her. And when she said no, when she said no, they said, but you don't really mean no. You don't mean no forever. You just maybe mean no for now. Are you on your period? Mm, maybe you're menstrual and that's why you're like a little emotional and aren't really stoked about 17 people swarming your car so you can't leave. Maybe you're just a little bit emotional. Maybe. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. That's what this is. And it's something that is changing and it's something that needs to continue to be called out. The Britney movement and the Free Britney movement and the the documentary really put another spotlight onto a culture surrounding access to women and a culture surrounding a double standard for women and a culture surrounding people being treated differently. And though we're talking about it in terms of women, this doesn't just happen for women because you see how many white male actors get chance after chance after chance after chance. And I can't think of examples of black male actors outside of maybe Bill Cosby that get as many chances. It feels like if you are an actor of color or a minority actor, then you get one chance and any misstep and it's done. And it feels that way for women as well. So it needed to be said. I will continue saying it. I will continue calling it out. No one deserves or is entitled to access to you. You choose. You choose how much access to give someone. No one is entitled to you. Well, hello and welcome back. I know I got a little bit ranty. I I had a moment 
talking about access and ideals and the way women are treated. And before we jump all the way back into some of my deeper thoughts, I just want to remind you, just want to remind you, there are new items in the Law Nerd Shop over at lawnerdshop.com. I have some great new designs for you that I love. I have a limited edition Law Nerd Love mug just for February because yes, Valentine's Day. Yes, I'm not cheesy. Yes, I don't care if it's cringe, like my kids say. <laughs> I love it. There's a limited edition February Law Nerd Love mug. There are expanded sizes on a lot of our items and on t-shirts, and there are crew neck sweatshirts. There are new hoodies, all kinds of things. So go check out lawnerdshop.com if you want to get all your Lawnard goodies and see the new designs. I love them. I love them. I'm so excited to share them with you. So let's get into some of the deeper thoughts on the documentary. What I thought the documentary really got right was giving all of us a an empathetic look at the run up to what led to the conservatorship. So that that whole time period leading up to the conservatorship being put in place and seeing it condensed in time the way that the documentary did it makes it glaring and really points a spotlight on the culture around celebrity more than just, oh, Britney had a hard time being famous or something like that. So that I really thought was fantastic. Did they dive into the conservatorship as much as I had hoped? Not necessarily. I'm a giant law nerd, but also it's hard to get the lawyers involved in the case to talk about it. None of them did, except, well, the one lawyer who talked about it was not on the team and then now is back on Jamie Spears' team. Britney's dad's legal team, but we didn't get a lot of insight into the ins and outs of the conservatorship, which I wanted to see more of. But I think that the focus of the documentary, I was hoping it would be more about that. I think that the focus of the documentary was really leading up to the conservatorship and really showing all of the different parts. And even the title for me, Framing Britney Spears, is are we talking about framing her like framing someone for a crime to kind of push her into this conservatorship? Or are we talking about reframing our image of her and what she's been through and the dialogue around what she's been through and the dialogue around mental health and celebrity? I, I thought all of that was quite good. I just really did want to see more about the conservatorship. And there's so little known um, outside of court documents, really. And I would have loved, I'm sure they would have loved it too. I would have loved to have had some more information about that. I want to know, like, I want to hear from her boyfriend. I want to know about what her day-to-day life is like more. I want to know for sure who has control of her social media. I have questions that are still not answered, but some of those answers maybe we don't have a right to. And some of those things with regard to her boyfriend, for sure, he might be cautious of sharing that, knowing that at some point, if they do determine that they want to get married and if it's allowed because she has to get like permission to get married, even though she's a grown ass woman because she's in this conservatorship, if he would be allowed 
to be a co-conservator of the person or even the conservator of her person. So I'm sure him being mindful of what he says and what he does is because it might one day actually come up in court if he does want to be the conservator of Brittany. And that role, like taking on that caregiver role, I'm sure is not something that's lightly taken. But, but as I was live during that Coffee and Cursey Words last week, the chat and if you haven't been one of our live chats on YouTube, they are a lot of fun. And the chat sometimes gets very busy when we have, you know, four, five, six, and sometimes up to 10,000 people on a live stream. But the chat was like, Brittany's boyfriend is speaking out on Instagram. And oh boy, did he. So let me pull up his Instagram real quick and read you exactly what Sam said regarding Jamie Spears, because I was fascinated. Sam said in an Instagram story post using the same creative mode background that I often find myself using. Now it's important for people to understand that I have zero respect for someone trying to control our relationship and constantly throwing obstacles our way. In my opinion, Jamie is a total dick. I won't be going into details because I've always respected our privacy, but at the same time, I didn't come to this country to not be able to express my opinion and freedom. That was his statement. And then he was um, talked, he was questioned, I don't know, approached. It's not really interviewed when the paparazzi find you getting into your car after coming out of like a Whole Foods or a Sprouts or whatever. Uh, but he, Bristol Farms, I think they said Bristol Farms. I will link it in the description and the show notes. But he was coming out and they asked him about it. And he said, look, when he treats his daughter right, then then I hope that we can get along in the future. And that's the most I've seen him say of not only does he think Britney's dad's a dick, but it's, I don't think he's doing what's right for his daughter. And that is a very big statement. Now, her dad is still her conservator. Well now co-conservator of her finances, the estate. And he is no longer the conservator of the person, but the woman who's the conservator of the person is only the temporary conservator, which leads me to believe that until she's made permanent, Jamie still could come back as the conservator of the person. I don't think that that would go well for Britney's team. I don't think they would, not that it wouldn't go well for them. I don't think that they would let that happen easily. I get the sense from the court documents that they very much would prefer, well, clearly would prefer anyone but Jamie at this point, and then we'll go from there. And that's definitely the sense I get. Now, right after uh, Tuesday's Coffee and Cursey Words on February 11th, there was another court hearing. This was with regard to bringing on another conservator of the trust, the estate the finances, the money stuff. And Bessemer Trust is that company that is now the co-conservator. Brittany's dad had objected to that saying things like, it's very complicated. You know, I can still do this and they can just do that and try to keep most of the control for himself and allow them to participate a little bit, but not really. And Brittany's attorney's argument against that was things like, why would she be double paying? Then she wouldn't have business management and this and this and that. And why does it matter? There should be a co, you know, co-conservator. And at least then we can get some of these money issues, 
looked at by someone else. And then it brings in also business management because her business manager had asked for a raise and then had quit. So bringing in Bessemer Trust kind of served a couple of purposes. I think it also allows the court to say, look, if we want to get rid of Jamie or if Brittany asked to get rid of Jamie as the conservator of the estate, it's not just handing off a massive and complex estate cold to someone else. This gives a transition period. And I think that that's really important for the continuity of the estate. Remember, the goal of the court is supposed to be to do what's in the best interest of the conservatee. I also don't think that just saying, okay, here, here's this whole estate, good luck, is ever going to be in Brittany's best interest. I think a transition period is appropriate. And I'm hoping that because the court has said in the past, I'm open to hearing a request to remove Jamie, but it seemed to me it was like, but not at this time, because there was no other trustee of the estate. There was no, there was no other conservatee. Those, those are all the wrong words. <laughs> there was no other conservator of the estate. And now Bessemer Trust is the conservator, co-conservator of the estate with her dad, allowing a possibility of him being removed down the road. And I think that's a really good thing. So there has been an additional ruling by the court that's a win for Brittany and her team. There has been additional comments by Brittany's boyfriend confirming what I think everyone suspected was that Jamie and his daughter, Brittany, don't have a great relationship and that Sam believes that Jamie's a dick. And then there was a lot regarding Justin Timberlake. Social media had all of the thoughts with regard to Justin Timberlake. And not only did the Britney documentary bring that into focus, but then there was also conversation about the Super Bowl Janet Jackson boob incident. Now, the Janet Jackson Super Bowl boob all happened when I was in law school. It was very interesting to talk about in our con law class and talk about the FTC regulations and what can be on TV and what can't be on TV and why there needs to be a delay on TV so that things like this don't happen and you don't end up with these massive FTC fines like the channel that aired the Super Bowl at the time ended up with. So Super Bowl 38 from 2004 was aired on CBS. CBS ended up receiving a whole bunch of fines for Janet Jackson's boob, even though it wasn't even a nipple because she was wearing pasties, because when Justin Timberlake was supposed to pull off like the leather of her bustier because the last lyric of his song was, I'll have you naked at the end of this song. And he was supposed to pull off a part of her um, bustier. And then there was like lace under it. So then there would be a pasty. So there was like no nipple on television. You know, we can't have those nipples roaming free. Except as I recall, Adam Levine from Maroon 5 ran around all topless with nipples everywhere. And nobody gave a shit about, about his nipples. It was just Janet Jackson's non-nipple that was, everybody was fluffed about. And I have thoughts about that as well, because everybody wanted to lick Adam Levine. They were like, oh, it's so great. I'm like, wait a second, though. He's completely topless. He's gone completely shirtless at the Super Bowl. and Everybody's super cool with it. Janet Jackson has a fraction of a second of a boob due to a costume malfunction. And it, it torpedoed her career at the at, and still it. She never, I don't think, fully bounced back from the backlash. And she's given interviews saying that she was disappointed that she didn't get more support after that. 
but she was the one who bore the brunt of it. Just like when Brittany and Justin broke up, Brittany was the one who bore the brunt of the blame, not Justin Timberlake. He went on to make Cry Me a River, which I've got to admit now feels cringe, but I loved the song. I loved the video. I was like, ooh, the shade. It was like the OG diss track. And now I look back at it. I'm like, I get it. Like I understand the circle, not the circumstances, because we don't know, but I understand better why society fed into that and why I didn't see it at the time and why I was like, love a diss track, love figuring out what the celebrities are doing behind the scenes, blah, blah, blah. But it just, it just made me sad. Brittany made a response video. It was sad. It, it, the whole thing, in hindsight, the whole thing makes me sad, but at the time, but at the time, and, and at the time, I think Justin could have stood up for both Brittany and been like, look, you know, mutual respect. We started dating when we were young. We're both going in different directions. It's really hard to be a celebrity. It's really hard to be a celebrity couple. And we've broken up instead of all of the other stuff. So there was lots and lots of social media conversation regarding Justin Timberlake. And I'm going to read his apology to you now. It's like a notes app apology on Instagram. I asked y'all about it on Twitter and I'll share, I'll share kind of the general gist of the over a hundred comments that y'all shared with me about that. I read them all. <laughs> so let's, let's read this JT apology, shall we? So he says, quote, I've seen the messages, tags, comments, and concerns, and I want to respond. Oh, this Emily interjection. You want to respond because you've seen all the tags, messages, comments, and concerns to you. Oh, not because you saw the documentary and went, oh, fucking hell. Hindsight. I, I could have done better. No, no, not, that's not the reason. That wasn't the reason. It was because you've seen the messages, tags, comments, and concerns. Mm -hmm. Going on, he continues to say, I am deeply sorry for the times in my life where my actions contributed to the problem, where I spoke out of turn or did not speak up for what was right. I understand that I fell short in these moments and in many others and benefited from a system that condones misogyny and racism. I specifically want to apologize to Britney Spears and Janet Jackson, both individually. Is it individual if both of them are in there? I'll, I'll just keep going. And then he says, because I care for and respect these women and I know I failed. Did he reach out to either of them? I want to know. He continues, I also feel compelled to respond. Oh, that was all. That was all. That was all of the apology. Okay. He's compelled to respond. I also feel compelled to respond in part because everyone involved deserves better. Deserved better? And most importantly, because this is a larger conversation that I wholeheartedly want to be a part of and grow from. No, you're only making the apology because you've seen the messages, ties, and comments and concerns, but okay, I move on. Quote, the industry is flawed. It sets men, especially white men, up for success. It's designed this way. Can we get into it? I would like to know more about the design. He continues to say, as a man in a privileged position, I have to be vocal about this. Because of my ignorance, I didn't recognize it for all that it was. 
while it was happening in my own life, but I do not want to ever benefit from others being pulled down again. I have not been perfect in navigating all of this throughout my career. I know this apology is a first step and doesn't absolve the past. I want to take accountability for my own missteps in all of this, as well as be part of a world that uplifts and supports. Who? Uplifts and supports who? And how? These are a lot of words. And he concludes with, quote, I care deeply about the well-being of the people I love and have loved. I can do better and I will do better. The thoughts I have on this are the thoughts a lot of you shared on Twitter too. A, okay, you got called out and you put a bunch of words together to sound like you wanted to do something, but it doesn't actually say what you did. It doesn't actually say how you benefited. It doesn't actually specifically apologize. It just kind of boldly, not boldly, no, blandly was the word I was looking for. Blandly talks about general injustice but it doesn't actually get into it. If you are going to speak up, speak up. Talk about how the system does this. Talk about what the system is. Are we talking about the music industry particularly? Okay, if we're talking about the music industry, are we talking about the entertainment industry? Which industry are we talking about? Let's start there. And are we talking about an industry that has mostly men in positions of power so that they're the ones making the decision on whether a woman is acting right or acting wrong or has the right look or doesn't. How, how is the industry flawed other than it sets men up, especially white men for success? How, how talk, talk about it. You're an insider, share the insider perspective. <sighs> Nothing was said before this. It's never been addressed so for this to be the first time, and I'm guessing it will be the last time that it's addressed, for a lot of you, me included, it feels like not enough, and it feels shallow. It's, it's wor- yeah, it's words. Uh, okay, it's words. I want to do better. How? I can do better. How? I care deeply about the people I love. Great. How? how what is going to change? And at least if you... At least if Justin called out the industry more specifically, I'm not saying call people out, shine a flashlight on the structures. It's been done in the Britney documentary. Talk about it. Talk about what happened to her after this time. Talk about what you know she was going through at this time. Talk about what it was like for both of you to be young and in the spotlight like that and how hard it was and how you said, fuck it, I want to get ahead. So I'm going to do what I have to do to get ahead because that was more important to me at the time. At least I have the integrity to call it out. I mean, it is what it is. People are mad anyway. They're going to be mad anyway. So at least stand in integrity and call out what it is. Explain what the system is. What it, what's the flaw in the industry? How does it set people up for success? A lot of people wanted to see more. I guess we'll see. There are words here. Maybe we'll see action. Maybe we won't. But at least now... There's been a promise of action, and we can all look and see. There's quite a lot of comments on this. Not all of them are positive. A lot of it is, have you apologized privately? Why so long? Where's the specificity? Uh, what are you going to do? Why did like why? Why didn't you do anything after the Super Bowl? You were equally as responsible. Why didn't you do anything? 
Why didn't you stand up for Janet Jackson? No, you let her take the hit and you kept moving. And same with Britney. You let her take the hit and you kept moving. And that's, that's just, I mean, that just, it, it is what it is. But it feels like there was only a response because of the social media calls for it. It doesn't feel like I saw this documentary. It made me reflect on on myself, my life, and my part in all of this. And I'm horrified, like most of you are, seeing this all condensed in time. This is what it was like to be inside of it. This is where I couldn't see outside of it. This is what I wish I had known or understood at the time. This is what I want to do better going forward. This is what I want young men that might be looking towards fame to know. This is what I want young women to know. This is what I want people to know, to understand, and to understand about fame and and what goes into it and what it can do to you and how it can blind you and how I was blinded. I mean, maybe as someone who has no idea what that was like, but could think of maybe what you could explain, Justin, to your fans and just to society at large who now wants answers. And again, yes, it goes back to me being like, well, we're not entitled to all of these things. No, but he decided to say something and what he said wasn't enough. So now it's like, oh, okay, but it, okay, okay, it's a start, but it could have been more. But then the most amazing thing happened. Janet Jackson's Control album last week topped the Apple Top 40 U.S. pop charts for the albums. I know. Control's like a 1982 album. It's number one in the charts again. And I think that is a way for fans to be like, yes, we love you. We're here for you. We support you. We're sorry that this happened to you, that you essentially got blacklisted because of a Super Bowl incident that you weren't responsible for because you didn't pull the thing off the thing. So when Janet's album went back to the top of the charts, she made a statement on Twitter. It's a video. I will link it below, but I'm going to just tell you what she said in some, well, no, it's a direct quote. It's not in some, it's not a summary. It's a quote. (laughs) She said, I was at home just the other day by myself and I began to cry. I was crying because I was so thankful for all that God has blessed me with, all that he has given me. And I'm so thankful for him being in my life. And I'm so thankful for all of you being in my life. You're so special to me. And I want to thank all of you for making control number one. Once again, after 35 years, I never, never in a million years, I would never think that this would happen. I really appreciate you. And I love you so, so much. Thank you. And I will link that Twitter video down below. It's just incredible to see the way that people can show up and show support in a way that an artist sees it. And and taking an album to the top of the charts is a great way to show an artist support. And that's the thing that makes me really sad about what's going on with Britney Spears and the Free Britney movement is there's this push-pull of how to show support for Britney. And showing support to her music the money received goes into the conservatorship. So those that don't want to show support to the conservatorship are like, but if I support the music, music money goes to the conservatorship. So what do you do? And that's where I think a lot of fans are still feeling very helpless with regards to the Free Britney movement because it feels like there's not a lot that can be done right now. And I completely understand the feeling, but I think 
One of the biggest things that's being done is having the conversations. If you watch the video, I mean, I, I still don't know what to call it. The paparazzi interview, the, the pop squatting, the, the pop spotting, <laughs> the paps spotting of Sam. He did thank the fans. It's been in court documents that Brittany has thanked the fans. So there's some indication that she's aware of the conversations happening. And I wonder if part of the Free Britney movement is having these conversations so other celebrities, influencers, or whoever it is, don't go through this, don't get treated this way, and that there's a better understanding about celebrity and mental health and the way celebrities treated, the way it taxes a person, and how we can all just be a little more compassionate to one another. Because though Britney Spears was at the top of the charts and was a pop starlet that we all adored, there was still a lot going on for her that we didn't know. And it just brings back that, you know, everyone's going through something, no matter who, no matter what, everyone's going through something. And if we're learning anything more acutely since COVID has started than anything else, it's that we have to have compassion and patience with one another. We have to have conversations before cancellations. We have to actually have conversations. And yes, I, I'm calling out Justin Timberlake's apology. Yes, I think there could be more. I think it's a start to the conversation. I'm not saying cancel Justin Timberlake. I'm saying continue the conversation. That was a start. There's more. There's more to be said. We're not done. Like you don't put out a PR statement on a notebook like app, Instagram post and be like, okay, well, we tick, we're done. No, there's so much more conversation that needs to be had. And I just hope that what we're learning about what Brittany has been going through is the start of that conversation in a lot of other areas as well. With that, thank you for hanging with me for this one, friends. Last week, I completely forgot to sign off. And then I was like, oh my God, I completely forgot to sign off. So grab a glass, raise it up, and repeat it with me. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. I will see you next week. Thanks, friend.